Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. First off, I'd like to apologize for a mistake I made last week when I introduced Jason J. McCuston's story, The Swamp Devil, as The Swamp Thing. The episode's been updated, but I figured I'd better set the record straight. Secondly, like I mentioned last week, as of tomorrow, June 1st, we're officially open for submissions. If you'd like more details on what kind of stories we're looking for, or how to submit a dark tale of your own, visit TalesToTerrify.com and click on Submissions. You'll find all the details you need to take the plunge and have your frightening, disturbing work featured on Tales to Terrify. But I've got a different destination in mind for us right now. We've crossed over into the state of Nebraska. What say we do a little exploring? Just south of the city of Papillion, Nebraska, sits what used to be the town of Portal. For a small town in the early 1900s, there wasn't anything particularly special about the town, just a small cluster of homes and businesses located along the railroad, where a handful of families tried to scrape out a living. As a town, Portal had never really taken off, though. The town was prone to flooding, which led many people to relocate to the nearby community of Papillion. Even the post office, typically a sign of growth and a connection to the rest of the country, had closed years earlier. But there were some families that were committed to remaining in Portal, to make a go of it. The town was home, after all. For young families trying to keep the community alive, the small one-room schoolhouse was a focal point. It represented a commitment to the future, to learning and growth, and advancement of the town's most important resource, its children. Single-handedly responsible for running the schoolhouse was a young female teacher. Each morning she would welcome the children, plan and teach their lessons, assign and grade their homework, and keep them safe and educated while their parents worked at their jobs or at home. She was known for her kindness and patience with the children. But whether the result of hard times, a mental break, or something even darker and more sinister, all of that changed rather suddenly and dramatically. The school day began like any other. The children wandered in, hung up their coats at the back of the classroom, and chattered as they grabbed their books and found their desks. But as their lessons began, a strange, growing sense of irritation began to blossom in the teacher's demeanor. 
She became more brusque, her temper growing shorter as the morning progressed. It was completely out of character for her, and the students, sensing a change within the teacher they'd come to love and trust, grew increasingly restless. It's not clear whether it was brought on by something done by the students themselves, or if there was any particular rhyme or reason to it. But the teacher suddenly stood from her desk, strode to the entrance of the small schoolhouse, and angrily latched and barred the doors. Without a word, she walked back to her desk, opened the drawer, and withdrew a small hatchet. The children, no doubt, sat in stunned silence, unsure of what she was going to do next, still inclined to trust the woman who had cared for and nurtured them throughout the year. But after her first swing of the hatchet, her intentions became horrifyingly clear. Within that small room, the teacher methodically hunted and murdered each of the children, one by one. And when she was finished, she first decapitated them, placing each child's head on the top of their desk before cutting their hearts out. But as soon as the deed was done, the blackness that had claimed her, that had clouded her mind and obscured her vision, suddenly cleared. And with a sudden realization, grief and guilt crashed over her like a tidal wave. She unbarred the door, swept the hearts she had carved from the students' chests into her arms, and ran with them to a nearby bridge, where she cast them into the swiftly flowing waters below. Today, Portal, Nebraska is a ghost town, but the schoolhouse still stands, although it, like many of Portal's former residents, was relocated to Papillion. The legend surrounding it, though, has left a mark. Despite the sign above the door reading Portal School, most people refer to the building simply as Hatchet House. And some say, if you're brave enough to visit the school late at night, you can still feel a dark, malicious, homicidal presence pacing the building's single room, waiting with axe in hand. Or, Others have felt the more sorrowful presence of the teacher, racked with guilt and unable to break free of the shackles of her dark deeds. As for the bridge, it's affectionately become known as Heartbeat Bridge, thanks to the steady rhythm of hearts beating in unison that can sometimes be heard rising from deep within the murky waters. But what say we dive into some murky waters of our own, hmm? Let's hear some fiction. We have one story for you this evening, which comes to us from Meredith Morgenstern. Meredith Morgenstern is the space princess identity of Meredith Lopez. She is a second-generation geek and voracious reader. She loves knitting, hates driving, and her Patronus is a dragon holding a wine glass. Meredith is a member of the Horror Writers Association and has been published in Starship Sofa, Episode 530, Grievous Angel, Fiction Vortex, and Gothic Blue Books 4. She lives in New Jersey in a house that's probably haunted. Follow her on Twitter at MLMorgenstern. Join me for Meredith Morgenstern's Confetti, a Tales to Terrify original. It's been a year since I promised the children I would take them to the circus. I've used that time to force myself to come to grips with my past and move on, for their sake. Three months ago I bought the tickets, less likely to back out now that the money's been spent. 
They're children. They deserve to go to the circus. People love it. People who aren't me love it, or else how would it be so popular? I tell myself it won't be so bad. Not like when I was a child. I'm a grown-up now. I can handle the darkness, the weirdness, the clowns. My ridiculous fear of clowns was easy enough to cope with before I had kids. I avoided haunted houses, movies with clowns, and the circus. Then last year, while out for a summer walk, my children saw other kids with the cheap, garish toys and souvenirs from the traveling show in town. I told them it was too late to go this year. All the tickets were sold out already. Next year, I promised. Luis had given me a knowing look over their heads. Really? Are you sure, Alicia? You don't have to do this. I had nodded to Luis, to myself. Yes, really, we're going to the circus. My mother figured it was normal for babies and toddlers to be terrified of clowns. As I grew older, she humored me when I told her that the clown at my cousin's birthday party had followed me to the bathroom and growled through the door all the ways he wanted to hurt my parents, hurt me, kill me. He referred to me by name, said my fear tasted delicious. My mother promised she'd ask my aunt about this, would make some phone calls, even tell the police what had happened. I trusted my mother, never doubted she'd do all these things, and wasn't saying them to placate me, to shut me up, to keep my fears from doubling upon themselves until they grew into something she could no longer deal with. By the time I hit my teens, my mother had long since stopped humoring me and had started warning me to quit the drama. High schoolers were famous for pranks, she said. Fears are for children, she said. I should learn to be brave and let things slide. The night before the circus, my husband Luis tries his latest tactic in helping me cope. All fears are ridiculous if you think about it. Irrational beliefs created by our subconscious. What's so great about clowns? I turned to my side in our bed and leaned my head on my hand. They wear crazy makeup, they pretend to get hurt on purpose, and they make fun of people. How is that funny? He twirls a lock of my hair. They're hyperbole, personified. I sigh. If clowns are so great, why are they so often depicted as evil? Because of people like you. Louise smirks and pecks me a kiss on the lips. It'll be fine. If it gets too scary, I'm sure the kids will hold your hands. He rolls onto his back and picks up his e-reader. He doesn't get far into his book when he notices I'm stock still, breathing too hard. He takes my hand, strokes the palm with his thumb. The touch of him shines light into the dark places in my mind, inhabited by a terror of white-faced weirdos. If it's too much, you can leave and we'll meet you at home, or... You can stay home and I'll sell your ticket. Thank you, but no. I have to do this. He kisses my hand, then turns off his bedside lamp. I pick up my own e-reader and turn off my lamp. Our bedroom glows with the eerie bluish-white lights of our two devices, balanced on our bellies. The long shadows cast by our furniture glide back and forth with our breaths. I ignore them and focus on the story in my hands. Before turning off my device and rolling over, I practice the mental exercises I spent a year cultivating, mental tricks I found online and in books to control my fear. In the car on the way to the arena, I managed to stay pleasant and calm on the outside. The kids can't see my knee bouncing up and down too rapidly, but Luis puts a gentle hand on my leg and squeezes. I stop bouncing. Outside the arena, barkers are already whipping the crowd into a frenzy. Some sell programs. Others sell paper tubes topped with pink and blue whirls of cotton candy. Still others sell plastic, 
electronic toys that light up, which no kid can resist. A few acrobats and unitards do gravity-defying flips for wide-eyed and slack-jawed onlookers. A woman in a hot pink tutu with a matching beehive hairdo holds a hoop while little dogs jump through. Old-fashioned calliope-style music blares loud enough from the outdoor speakers to make me feel like an old lady. I try to use the music as an excuse to avoid Jacob and Jude's pleas for sparkly light-up toys. Jacob is too smart, though. He tugs on my shirt hard and points to the toy seller. Behind Jacob, Jude jumps up and down and claps his hands together in toddler glee. Luis and I share a knowing look and head for the toy shell. While the children peruse the selection and Luis takes out his wallet, I watch an acrobat do a handstand and then curl his spine the wrong way so that his feet cover his eyes from behind. The crowd applauds. A hand falls onto my shoulder. I whip my head around and in a split second travel from startled to terrified. An unnaturally white face with painted on red lips and blue triangles above and below the eyes leers into my face. What? My breath whooshes out quickly, and I have to grab Luis's arm to keep from falling down. Luis holds me steady. Are you okay? That clown just... I stop myself. The only clowns in sight are behind the acrobats and dog lady. No one could have made it to me and back in that split second. Never mind. Luis rubs my lower back and we shepherd the children inside. I remind myself that I am the boss of my imagination. I am a mental warrior who can fight off any unwanted intruders. Overwhelmed by the crowds, Jude reaches up a tiny hand. I take it and squeeze. He squeezes back, and I know I can do this. The overhead lights are still on in the main floor. Parents guide children down the aisle steps and scoot herds of distracted, excited siblings into rows of flip-down arena chairs. Grown-ups use their arms like seatbelts to hold kids in place. Those children lucky enough to be unobserved for even a second have popped up and begun sword fights with their glowing toys. Making a chaotic situation even worse, hawkers in red and white striped uniforms with 1950s-style soda-jerk hats walk up and down the aisles selling peanuts, hot dogs, popcorn, or sodas. And clowns weave their way through the crowds, like eels in the water. I lead my family to our section, to our row, to our seats. Jacob pops the seat of his chair down and then climbs up to stand on it. Because Jude does everything his older brother does, he follows suit, and they lose themselves in the pre-show. Luis and I sit apart, the children between us, though I know as soon as the lights go down we'll all be playing musical chairs as each child grows uncomfortable, or needs a lap, or can't be next to his brother anymore, or as I need to hold one of my own children like a teddy bear. A clown with yellow stars painted round his eyes and green lips shoots up from the row in front of us. I yelp with surprise. He winks at me and leers. Jude falls onto his bottom and laughed, cushioned by his diaper and thrilled at the excitement. Do again! He commands the clown and points. Jacob laughs too. You scared me! He clutches his chest with hilarity the way he sees grown-ups do. The clown's smile widens. As the clown entertains my children, I allow myself to take deep breaths and unclench my jaw. He doesn't even seem to notice me, so I sit back in my seat and watch my babies giggle at the clown's tired and tiresome tricks. He pretends to walk down some stairs, only to pop up and surprise them. He shoots water out of the fake flower on his lapel, He pulls a plastic coin from Jude's ear. He pulls a plastic egg from Jacob's ear. He does every clown cliché, short of slapping a pie onto his own face. 
When he finishes, the children applaud and try to pull coins and eggs out of each other's ears. Before moving on, the clown leans down and hisses into my ear, Enjoy the show. My heart jumps and sends a jolt of electric terror through my chest and into my arms. When I look at the clown, he is standing up in front of me, with only the thin seats of the next row between us, a sadistic smile on his face. He looks down. I follow his gaze. To my disgust, his pants are disfigured by an obvious erection. I tap Luis in point, but by the time Luis can tear his attention away from the kids, the clown is gone. Luis leans over and takes my hand. Relax, he says. Try to enjoy the show. I nod and sit back in my seat. Of course I didn't see a clown erection. The show's producers would fire him if they knew he did something like that. The more I think about it, the funnier it seems. And soon I've convinced myself it was a trick of my imagination. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. The house lights darken, and a spotlight shines in the center ring. Millions of tiny flashes bounce off the ringmaster's sequin coat and hat. She gives the arena a full turn before booming her voice through the microphone to welcome us all to the show. When she's sure she has the crowd's attention, the music starts up and the action begins. Trapeze artists come out first. I watch their mid-air flips, their death-defying catches their wild swings. Jude gasps with each heart-stopping trick. In the glow of the circus lights, his face is wide open, a sponge absorbing all these superhuman feats. I kiss his cheek, trying to absorb his innocent joy. The sequins of the artist's tiny outfits blink and flash in time to swings of the trapeze bars. I watch the flutter of a young woman's skirt as she sails through the air from one swing to the outstretched arms of a man hanging by his knees from another. He catches her and they grip elbows before she throws herself upright and raises a hand in victory. I applaud and cheer with the audience, lowering my guard a little bit. Jude claps and bounces in his seat, shouting, Do again! 
A very lean and muscular man in blue tights and glittery tank tops somersaults through the air once, twice, three times, before twirling himself to land safely on top of a swinging bar. I sit back and smile, and pleasantly note how much I'm enjoying the trapeze act. Then the act ends. The clowns come out. Like water being sucked up by an ocean tornado, my sense of safety and enjoyment leave my body in a rush. From my left, Luis leans over to tickle my arm and whispers, They always come out between acts. Don't worry. I close my eyes and hope the children won't notice. Maybe I can do this each time the clowns come out. Maybe not watching them will help me enjoy the other acts. I still get bravery credit for coming here, don't I? Mommy! Jacob's voice is loud above the noise. Open your eyes, you're missing the whole thing. I give him my best smile. Of course, he's right. There's nothing to be afraid of. I am mentally armed. I am ready. I'm not afraid of a stupid clown. The clowns seem harmless enough. They trip and fall over floppy shoes like puppies with two big paws. They send helium balloons out into the audience. They blow slide whistles and smack tambourines on their heads. My children are beside themselves with glee, and I find myself smiling. When I look at Luis, he winks at me. The next act comes on, and as entertaining as the trick horse riders are, I'm surprised at how much I'm looking forward to the next clown intermission. In my mind, I pat myself on the back. My mental warrior strikes a victory pose. Fear be damned. I'm ready for the next set of clowns. Ready to be entertained and amused. At first, I don't understand what they're doing. The act seems to make no sense. To my horror, I see a clown with blue hair spiking out from the sides of his head, systematically chopping down with a hatchet onto his fingers, which are splayed out on a block of wood. Two other clowns, one with a rainbow afro wig and another with a patchwork hobo's hat, pick up each finger as it is liberated and throw it into the audience. Children raise their hands, eager to catch a prize. Luis, what the hell? I reach for the children to shield their eyes. They shove me away. Alicia, what is it? The crease between Luis's eyebrows is deep with concern. Don't you see it? See what? Jude bats me away with his dimpled toddler hands. Jacob slaps at my forearms. I look back at the center ring. Two of the clowns are tossing colorfully wrapped candy and shiny ribbons into the front rows. The third is shooting confetti poppers into the air. They're just clowning, Mommy. Jacob's words lend authority to his little voice. Jude looks up and points. Fetty! He claps his hands high into the air to catch the bits of paper and colors as they rain down. Out of the corner of my eye, I see a jet of blood shooting towards us. I gasp and look. It's only a red ribbon. In a span of minutes, I've reverted to a state of terror near paralysis. The next act comes on an aerialist hanging from a long white scarf. One by one during her act, I review my coping techniques. There's no way a family show would involve dismemberment, even for pretend. Confetti and ribbons is what everyone else saw. Confetti and ribbons is what it must have been. My mind has been poisoned by my past experiences. I have to let the poison dissolve so I can enjoy the rest of the show. Bored by the aerialist in her silk ribbon, Jude climbs into my lap and inserts a thumb into his mouth. This fear is one I have to master so I can be a healthy adult. The aerialist jumps to the floor with a classic showbiz smile. I applaud like everyone else and work to stifle the feeling of dread threatening to overwhelm me again. This time they come out in the classic act of a house being on fire and a squadron of clown firefighters sent to put it out. Jude bounces in my lap. 
Fire talk, he says around his thumb. Yes, baby. I keep my lips close to his ears so I can smell his sweet toddler scent. Fire truck. What appears to be real fire shoots out of the windows of the house. I remind myself it's only confetti and ribbons and repeat in my mind that the blast of heat I just felt could have been anything. A broken air duct, someone's hot breath, Jude's fart. A clown runs out of the flaming house. I can't tell what color his crazy hair might be or what sort of bright, exaggerated costume he might be wearing because he's on fire. From head to toe, he is engulfed in bright yellow and orange flames. I stick my face into Jude's hair to hide my gasp. Maybe if I close my eyes and breathe in the smell of sweetness and innocence, it'll go away. I open my eyes. The man is still aflame. I think to myself, it's only a trick. He has a bright orange and yellow wig. It's not real fire. It's a trick. It's a trick. Jude sees this act too. It's a trick. But the more he runs and flaps his arms, the higher the flames lick into the air, feeding on the oxygen. Two seats down, Jacob pumps his fist into the air and yells, Yeah, yeah, yeah! Jude dances happily in my lap, gaze glued to the inferno before us. The clowns dressed as firefighters bring out a long hose and aim it at the creature on fire. The clown on the truck releases a handle. My eyes immediately water as the toxic smell of gasoline hits me, the fumes suffocating. I cough and sputter. Jude turns his head. You okay, Mommy? Louis slaps my back. I suck in a deep breath. That's a mistake. The figure on fire had fallen to the ground and stopped moving. The scent of burnt flesh hits my nostrils, something like frying pork chop, but richer and sweeter. I gag and manage to move Jude onto his seat right before I dry heave. Louise taps my shoulder. My eyes are watering. My gag reflex has gone into overdrive. He rubs my lower back like he did when I had morning sickness, but this time it doesn't make me feel better. I roll out of my seat, push past my family, and dash to the ladies' room. I vomit once, twice. I gasp. I choke. My eyes stream. Snot pours out of my nose. I go to wash my hands and rinse my mouth, determined more than ever to master my fears. How can this have happened? Confetti and ribbons, I remind myself. Next time, I will make myself see confetti and ribbons. Fear won't win today. It can't. I'm a grown-up woman with children, for fuck's sake. Who pukes at the circus like this? From clowns. A woman at the sink next to mine laughs. Too much crappy circus food, huh? I try to smile and nod. She keeps laughing as she holds her hands under the dryer. Her laughter turns to a cackle as she walks out of the bathroom. In her wake, ants swarm into the bathroom, blackening the floor, scaling the walls. A great mass of segmented bodies surges toward me, around me. I gasp, I blink. The ants are gone. The woman's only loosed some colorful confetti from the soles of her sneakers. The whiffs of paper catching every current of air like dust moots. Instead of going back to my seat right away, I stroll around the arena's halls. The shills in red and white stripes are still selling circus junk. Programs, toys, lights, posters. Maybe I'll bring the kids back a treat. A light breath tickles the hair at the back of my neck. I whip my gaze around, but no one is there. A shill holds a poster featuring a rainbow-wigged clown. Seeing me notice him, he holds it up and shouts, Just ten dollars for this colorful bolster. Your kids will love it. I face forward and walk quickly away. A little farther ahead, I see an ice cream seller. As I pay for two cups of ice cream with rainbow sprinkles, something soft brushes my arm. I look down in time to see a tuft of bright blue softness, like the hair of a clown, scuttle underneath the ice cream cart. When I look at the ice cream in my hands, the 
The sprinkles have turned to paper confetti saturated in blood, and they are leaking onto the ice cream. Startled, I drop them both. Oh no. I squat down to clean up. The ice cream seller graces me with an indulgent, understanding smile. Don't worry about it. Here, have two more. I reach into my pocket for my wallet, but he waves me away. On the house. Accidents happen. I feel bad, though, and leave an extra-large tip in the plastic jar. When I get to my seat, Jacob kindly informs me of all the acts I missed, including the elephant parade and the clown car. I thank him for catching me up, silently grateful that I missed the clown car. The kids grab the ice cream out of my hands and manage to mumble their distracted thanks. Jude lifts a dripping spoonful to his mouth and chomps his lips around it to the hilt. When he pulls the spoon from his mouth, the hot tang of blood hits my nostrils. I do a double take. Something dark dribbles out of his mouth. I wipe it and smell. Chocolate. By now, over an hour has passed, and I figure the show must be ending soon. Even the big kids in the audience are growing restless and won't be able to sit still for many more acts. I get an idea and lean over to Luis. Let's go now and beat the traffic getting out of here. I tell myself I'm not a coward. He keeps his eyes forward but answers me in a whisper. It's Saturday afternoon. There's going to be traffic no matter what. We might as well stay to the end. He reaches for my hand and scoots the pads of his fingertips over my knuckles. You okay? Do you want to wait in the car? I'm not a dog, I say, harsher than I intend. Confetti and ribbons, I repeat in my mind. For the grand finale, the ringmaster invites all the acts out to the three circus rings. Animals and the superhuman acrobats and trapeze artists in their sparkly tiny costumes parade out. And the clowns. Everyone stands to cheer for the circus. This is it. A few more minutes, then I can go home. Then I'm done being brave for another year. Confetti and ribbons. I pull out my phone and pretend to scroll through some emails so I don't have to look at the circus anymore. It's while I'm in the middle of an email from Jacob's school that it happens. A clown's face I haven't seen yet takes over the screen. He has candy apple red curly hair and a big red foam ball on his nose. His white makeup is cracked like wrinkles. His red smile jagged in hateful smears. His eyes stab me in the chest with a sickening terror. There are no irises or pupils, no whites, just red, bright, glowing red. Before I can tap the sleep button of my phone, he says, Watch the rings, Alicia. We have something special planned just for you. Then he disappears. I shove my phone into my pocket and grab Luis's arm. Please, let's go, please, right now. Alicia, I can't. He's cut off by Jacob, standing up on his seat between us. Jude, seeing this, slides out of his seat, and raises his arms to Luis, who obediently picks him up. The other acts make their way backstage once they've done a circuit of each ring. The clowns stay. I move past the kids to tuck on Luis's sleeve. Let's go, please, right now. The show's over, let's go, just, let's just go. The kids, though, are mesmerized by the spectacle ahead. Luis wraps an arm around my waist and pulls me close. You've been so brave this far. You can do it, Alicia. He kisses my temple. We stay. The ringmaster leaves. She takes the spotlight with her. The arena is briefly plunged into inky darkness. Why would they do this? Why aren't there screams of terrified children? I feel I'm about to be swallowed by something wretched and hungry a primal fear from my lizard brain that wants me to run, run, run for my life. To stave off the claustrophobia, I cut my hands over my nose and mouth and take shallow breaths. A strobe light blinks on, flashing staccato through the cavernous arena. 
A large disco ball lowers from the rafters, tearing the strobe's flashes into tiny pieces and scattering them swirling around the audience, the floor, the ceiling, the clowns still in the rings. They spread out to all three circus rings, their movements all wrong because of the strobe effects. Once they've scattered, they start stripping. With wild, violent gestures, they tear at their own brightly colored outfits and each other's, the ripping fabrics sounding like so much Velcro. With a sense of what's to come, I pinch the meat of Luis's waist and hiss into his ear. For God's sake, get them out of here. Jacob pulls my arm out of his line of sight. Mommy, stop it. My voice cracks. You can't tell me you don't see this. Tears spill over. We have to leave, please. Oh my God, please, let's go. I turn to run. A shadow rises behind Jacob. In the sickening light of the strobe and the disco ball, I see the crackle face from my phone. His broken red mouth snarls, and I have no doubt those glowing red eyes are looking right at me. Yes, me. No one else nearby is looking in his direction. Oh God, what nightmare have I come up with now? He raises both hands. One, he points to the arena floor. The other holds a knife. He levels at Jacob's neck. Watch the show, he says, or watch me flay him and eat his skin. I spin and keep my face pointing forward. I can no longer hide it from the children. I'm sobbing openly now. A child behind us asks, Daddy, why is that lady crying? Doesn't she like clowns? In my periphery, I can see Luis's worried face. I ignore him, too terrified for my child's life to turn my head away from the abomination again. The red-eyed clown has appeared in the center ring. He licks his lips, inserts each of his white fingers one by one into his mouth like he's sucking off fried chicken grease. The faster my heart beats, the bigger his smile grows. Down below, the clowns have begun a writhing orgy of painted flesh. They suck and penetrate and lick and smack and grab. Male clowns, female clowns, clouds that define binary gender all climb and slide over each other, spreading legs, wrapping arms, burying whatever parts of themselves they can into whatever openings they can find. They defecate and piss on each other, rubbing the filth on their skin. A writing crop is brought forth and used with sickening, cracking sounds. Other, longer whips come out, and shackles, and wide-studded paddles. Blood becomes a grotesque lubricant for the undulating mass. Cattle prods make an appearance, bright orange with heat. The stench of singed flesh, not quite like before, but still stomach-churning, soon hits my nostrils. With nothing left in my guts, I dry heave somehow keeping my gaze forward on the horror show in the rings. The red-eyed clown now separates himself from the orgy. Once again, I don't know how I can tell, but I know he's looking right at me. Delicious, he says, and I can hear him as if he's whispering into my ear, grotesquely intimate. The hair on my arms pricks up like a snake just slid across me. His belly blows up like a balloon, filling with my fear. Both of the clown's hands are on his face, fingertips resting at his hairline. With a slowness that makes me feel faint, he pulls at the skin of his face until it peels off, inch by terrible inch. His red eyes pop open until they fall out of his skull. When they land, they set the ground ablaze, where the clown's facial muscles ought to be is instead a gaping black chasm. If I stare too hard for too long, I know I'll fall inside and never come out. I back up a step until my legs hit the seat. A shriek pierces my ears. I'm certain my eardrums have burst. A murder of crows comes flying out of the clown's empty skull. They spread everywhere flapping into the audience with a noise like the end of the world. 
Children reach up for the crows, jumping, screaming, begging. Luis laughs and encourages Jacob to jump higher, higher, higher. He holds Jude up above his head, and my baby's chubby little toddler arms disappear into the darkness above as confetti and ribbons fall from the rafters. Confetti and ribbons, I whimper. I don't believe my own words, but I have to say it. I tell myself a ribbon is falling on us. My eyes insist on seeing a crow head down, beak open in a death cry, legs forward. I think it's aiming for me, but it veers to my left, toward Jude, who reaches forward as far as he can with Louise holding onto his legs. The crow aims those talons at my youngest, at my baby. And Luis just laughs and laughs, and on Luis's other side, Jacob screams, frantic, No, me, me, me! Heart pounding, limbs trembling, face wet with tears, mouth full of the taste of old bile, I throw myself in front of Jude and Luis, reaching out to grab the crow's legs. I intend to pull it down, to trample it, to gain control of this nightmare once and for all. Claws like razors tear at my fingertips, my palms, my wrists. Jude's weight pounces on me from behind, his high-pitched scream piercing my ears, ricocheting through my skull. The blackness of oblivion takes me into its soft embrace. When I wake up, I'm someplace shiny. A stranger with a kind face and a white button-down shirt leans over me, holding a plastic mask over my nose and mouth. She's awake, he says. Someone squeezes my hand. I turn my head. The mask comes with me. With great tenderness, Louise touches the part of my cheek not covered by the oxygen mask. He's trembling. His face is pale. I try to sit up to find my children. Louise reads my mind. They're right here. They're fine. When the paramedic turns away, Louise leans down and whispers, Please don't try to be brave again. You're scared of clowns. It's fine. I love you. From the entrance to the ambulance, I can hear Jacob's sniffles and Jude's quiet murmurings for Mommy. I smile as much as I can. I promise I'll never try to be brave here again. Except for my crying and fainting at the end, the kids had a wonderful time and want to go to the circus again the following year. Louise takes them. They don't ask me to come along. When they get home, the kids are hyped up on sugar and toys and spectacle. This year, they called for volunteers in the clown acts. Louise winks. You would have hated it. Jacob grabs my hand, so I have to give him my attention. I got to go up, Mommy. I got to be a clown. That's... I swallow. Great, honey. And Mommy, look what the clown showed me how to do. He grabs his teeth with his fingers and pulls open his mouth. And he keeps opening it, wider and wider, until his jaw unhinges like a snake's, releasing a black feather. Mmm! Jude rubs his tummy. Delicious! That was Meredith Morgenstern's Confetti, as read by Summer Brooks. Summer Brooks is a bit of a television addict and enjoys putting her sci-fi media geek skills to good use in interviewing guests. She has been a co-host for Slice of Sci-Fi from 2005 to 2009, the co-host for the Babylon podcast from 2006 to 2012, and host of Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas before returning to Slice of Sci-Fi full-time as host and producer in August 2014. 
She is an avid reader and writer of sci-fi, fantasy, and thrillers, with a handful of publishing credits to her name. Next on her agenda is writing an urban fantasy tale and a B-movie monster extravaganza. Currently, Summer designs and maintains websites for clients in addition to having fun with the slice of sci-fi websites, and also does voiceover and narrations for Tales to Terrify, Starship Sofa, and Escape Pod, among others. Thank you, Summer. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of stories to tell. For now. If you haven't already, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you can get in on ad-free episodes and make sure you don't miss out on all the deliciously frightful extras we've got planned. Also, like us or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews help keep us on the charts so we can worm our way into the ears of new listeners. Our show is produced by our editors, Seth Williams and Pete Morsellino, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with theme by Diane Severson and music by Spencer Disparty. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we infest your nightmares with more Tales to Terrify. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.